The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mark Pritchard. Number one, sir. Mr Speaker, I have been asked to reply. As the uh, House may be uh, aware, uh, my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister's father, was taken seriously ill uh, last night, so quite rightly he has travelled to be uh, with his father and with his family, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of uh, everybody on all sides of the House uh, when I say we wish him, his father uh, and and their family all best wishes at this difficult time. Mr Speaker, I would also, of course, like to start by paying tribute Uh, to the brave servicemen who have lost their lives uh, over the summer since we last sat. They were Corporal Matthew Stenton from the Royal Dragoon Guards, Lance Corporal Stephen Monkhouse from 1st Battalion Scots Guards, Sapper Mark Smith Smith from 3-6 Engineer Regiment, Lance Sergeant Dale McCallum from 1st Battalion Scots Guards, Marine Adam Brown from 40 Commando Royal Marines, Lieutenant John Sanderson from 1st Battalion, the Mercian Regiment. Rifleman Raymond Kulung from 1st Battalion, the Mercian Regiment. Sapper Darren Foster from 2-1 Engineer Regiment. Sapper Ishwa Gurung from 69 Gurkha Field Squadron. Lance Corporal Jordan Bancroft from 1st Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment. Lance Corporal Joseph Poole from 1st Battalion, the Royal Regiment of Scotland and Captain Andrew Griffiths from 2nd Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment. Uh, Mr Speaker, each of these men were heroic, uh, selfless uh, individuals uh, who have given their lives for the safety uh, of us and the British people. Nothing can, can ease the pain of the loved ones, families and friends that they have left uh, behind, but their lives, service and sacrifice will never, ever be forgotten. We also remember Dr Karen Wu, who was killed while providing aid and medical services to Afghan civilians. And we offer condolences to the wife and family of Ken McConaughey, devoted father of four and former police officer in Northern Ireland, who died on August the 7th whilst mentoring police forces in Helmand province. The bravery of our servicemen and others, as I saw again myself when I was in Afghanistan last week, who are risking their daily lives to help the people of Afghanistan is both inspiring and humbling. Mark Pritchard. Yesterday, West Mercia Police announced they were laying off 300 personnel. Does the Deputy Prime Minister agree with me that if it were not for the financial mess left by the, <laughs> left by the last government, that many of these jobs, and indeed thousands of other public sector jobs across the country, could have been saved, and it is now left to the new coalition government to take the difficult decisions to sort out the nation's finances? Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I certainly agree with him that um, the previous government has left us with uh, an extraordinary legacy, the largest, the largest deficit in our peacetime uh, history. It was the previous government that took its eye off the ball and allowed the banks to lend money irresponsibly. It was the previous government that racked up uh, these, these extraordinary debts and deficits. They were irresponsible in government and they're now living in denial in opposition. But, Mr Speaker, we didn't just inherit a legacy of deficit, we also inherited a legacy of bureaucracy. Uh, And as Sir Dennis O'Connor, the Chief Inspector of Constabulary, pointed out in July, 
there were 2,600 pages of guidance were issued to police officers last year alone. He told us that if they were laid end to end, they would be three times higher than the Eiffel Tower. We need less bureaucracy and more police on the streets. First of all, we need much less noise, and secondly, I just remind the front benches of the need for pithy exchanges to enable as many back benches as possible to contribute. Mr. Jack Straw. Mr. Speaker, may I join the Deputy Prime Minister in paying tribute to all those who have lost their lives serving our country in Afghanistan since the House last met? We know that for each one of those individuals, there is a family who are immensely proud of their service, but who are consumed with grief for their loss. Our thoughts and prayers are with those bereaved families and the comrades and friends of all those who have died. Mr Speaker, I think all of us uh, had hoped that part of the opening of Prime Minister's questions would be uh, an opportunity for us to express congratulations to Mrs Cameron and the Prime Minister on the birth of their new baby. And of course, on behalf of the opposition, uh, we certainly do. But that, sadly, is tinged uh, with the uh, dreadful news about the Prime Minister's father. And may I say, on behalf of the opposition, that I am absolutely certain that he's made exactly the right decision to be where he he knows he, he has to be, Uh, with his uh, father and his family at this difficult time. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister in May brought Mr Andy Coulson into 10 Downing Street. May I ask the Right Honourable Gentleman... May I ask the Right Honourable Gentleman, is he entirely satisfied that whilst Mr Coulson was editor of the News of the World, at no time was Mr Coulson aware of any use of unlawful hacking of telephones. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I'm grateful uh, for uh, the words uh, which uh, he said about the Prime Minister and, of course, the great news uh, about the birth of um, uh, their new baby daughter, and I, of course, will pass those on. Uh, As for um, the issue of phone hacking, he uh, knows, as we all know, that um, this is a very, very serious offence. A very serious offence indeed. It is an outrageous invasion of privacy and it is right that two individuals were convicted and imprisoned. Uh, As for Mr Coulson, he's made it very, very clear that he took responsibility for something of which he had no knowledge at the news of the world and he refutes all the allegations that have been made uh, to the contrary. Uh, That statement speaks for itself. It is now for the police It is now for the police and the police alone to decide whether new evidence has come to light which needs to be investigated. Straw. Uh, Mr Speaker, that uh, wasn't an answer to the question uh, I put. The question was, is the Right Honourable Gentleman entirely satisfied that whilst Mr Coulson was editor of the News of the World, at no time was Mr Coulson aware of any use of unlawful phone hacking? Yes or no? The Deputy Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, Mr Coulson has made it quite clear that he had no knowledge and he refutes all the, all the allegations. While I, in a slightly rushed manner, was preparing for today, suspecting this issue might come up, I read in one of the briefing notes I've received that when Andy Coulson resigned from the News of the World, the first person to call to commiserate was Gordon Brown. <laughs> 
he told him, he told him, he told him not to worry that he had done the honourable thing and that he knew he would go on to do a worthwhile job. themselves. I can't imagine why they're so excited, but I want to get down the order paper. Jack Straw. In May of this year, his rival friend, the Energy Secretary, said that, and I quote, Mr Coulson was either complicit in criminal activity or the most incompetent editor in Fleet Street. Which is it? Deputy Prime Minister. My, my right honourable uh, friend uh, and I are in complete agreement that if, that if, if, new, uh, if, if, new, if new evidence has come to light, if new evidence has come to light, the police, and that is what I want and that is what I expect, the police will now actively look to see whether that evidence is worthy of further investigation. That's what the police are there for. That's what they should be doing. Of course, it was under the previous government, the Labour government, that no further action was taken. It's the former Home Secretary who's now been making all sorts of pious remarks about this in the press, who decided not to actually involve the, involve the HMIC. The Director of Public Prosecutions, uh, the Crown Prosecution Service, decided not to take any further action. If the police now now think that new evidence has come to light, let them decide. Jack Straw. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Media Select Committee, chaired by his honourable friend, the Conservative member for Malden, uh, said, and I quote, the evidence we find makes it inconceivable that no one else at the News of the World, bar Mr Goodman, was aware of the activity of phone hacking. What does the Deputy Prime Minister know which the Select Committee did not know? The Deputy Prime Speaker, uh, the police now need to decide whether, in the light of the new allegations that have been made, there is new evidence which requires a further investigation. That's what the police are there for. I want them to get on with that. That is what I expect they should do. But honestly, I'm simply not going to take any lessons from a party. From a party spend all its time in office backbiting against each other through leaks and counter-leaks in the press, a party of the dodgy dossier of cash for peerages of Damien McBride. Let's have a little bit of consistency on this, shall we? Jack Straw. So, Mr Speaker, when the police have uncovered 2,978 mobile telephone numbers of potential victims. The New York Times has named his own honourable friend, the member for Bermondsey, as a potential victim. Does the Deputy Prime Minister expect us to believe that the only person who knew nothing about phone hacking at the News of the World was the editor, the very man whom the Prime Minister has brought into the heart of this government? Deputy Prime Minister. What I expect and hope he will believe is that it is now for the police to investigate whether these new charges and allegations have anything to them. That is what the police are there for. Does he want all of us to start second-guessing what's in the newspaper, what statements have been, uh, what statements have been made? Let the police... Look, we've got a war in Afghanistan. We've got a flood in Pakistan. And he is inviting this government to second-guess the work of the police. I would have thought after all the years he was invo involved in our criminal justice system, he would know better. Yeah. Duncan Haynes. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, a serving police officer was jailed for an appalling assault committed in a police station in my constituency. Whilst I believe we can draw confidence in Wiltshire Police from the brave officer who blew the whistle, does the Deputy Prime Minister agree that it cannot be right that, owing to restrictive police conduct regulations, the offending officer continued on full pay for more than two years after the attack? Prime Minister. Well, I, 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 like, I'm, I suspect many people on all sides of the House were deeply, deeply shocked to see um, the, uh, the pictures uh, uh, of the uh, offence which was um, uh, perpetrated by the uh, police officer. And I'm, I'm sure I share also people's dismay that action was not taken uh, any more uh, speedily. However stressful uh, the conditions are f- under which um, police officers work, uh, it is absolutely essential that they uphold the very highest standards of their own conduct in whatever situation. That clearly was not the case here. I'm glad that uh, action has finally been taken. I wish, like him, of course, that action could have been taken earlier. Greg McLeamont. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Business Secretary this morning reaffirmed his commitment to the separation of high street banking from casino banking. Does the Deputy Prime Minister agree that this separation is essential to ensuring that the British taxpayer must never again have to bail out banks which are too big to fail. The Deputy Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, Speaker, um, as he knows, knows, there is a a lively debate about the relationship between retail banking and investment banking. The, the former Chancellor has made his, his own views very clear from the front bench of his party that he doesn't think there's a case for separation. We have, we have believed in opposition, the Liberal Democrats, there should be a separation. There is a debate going on within government. What we have now asked is that Sir John Vickers should chair an independent commission looking at this. That is a commission which will look at how we can ensure that there is safety and stability in our banking system for good. That was action not taken by the previous government. We will look at the recommendations and then decide. John Redwood. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given that uh, in the last Labour year they spent £10,000 for every man, woman and child in the country on current public spending, and given that it's going to go up to 11500 ahead over the five years of this government under budget plans, doesn't it show that the coalition government can get through without any damaging cuts to important public services? Deputy Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, uh, as, he, as, he very well, as he very well knows, the challenge of balancing the budget and filling the huge black hole left uh, to us by Labour is indeed a very, very difficult, uh, uh, difficult challenge. One, of course, which has been recognised by Tony Blair in his recent book, where he has said, if governments don't tackle deficits... Order! Order! I haven't read the book yet. I want to hear what Mr Blair has to say. The Deputy Prime Minister. I'm relieved Mr Speaker wants to hear what the book says. If governments don't tackle deficits, this then increases the risk of prolonged slump. If we fail to offer a convincing path out of debt, that will itself plunge us into stagnation. I agree. Miss Anne Bay. The the charity shelter, um, Mr Speaker, this week revealed that 54,000 children who live in households that are already well below the poverty line are going to lose out as a result of the changes to housing benefit. Um, and the Department of Work and Pensions' own document reveal that 52,000 of the poorest pensioners will be up to 11, on average £11 a week worse off as a result of those same changes. 
Is this what the Chancellor meant when he said his budget was tough but fair? Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, the uh, legacy we inherited was. I know. I know. I know. I know. Members opposite. I know members opposite don't want to hear this, but it is worth reminding people in the country at large that after 13 years of Labour, the United Kingdom has the highest. The Deputy Prime Minister will be heard. There is far too much noise. Members must restrain themselves and give the Deputy Prime Minister a proper and fair hearing. The Deputy Prime Minister. That the United Kingdom now, after 13 years of Labour government, has the highest number of children in workless households in Europe. That is an absolute shameful legacy. And one of the things that this government is going to do, which the previous government failed to do, is to create incentives to get people off benefits and into work. That is the surest way out of poverty and the surest way that we can look after those children who were abandoned and not looked after by the previous Labour government. Mr James Arbuthnot. After the Chinook crash in 1994 on the Mull of Kintyre, Every inquiry that has been held, which has been independent of the Ministry of Defence, has found it impossible to attribute negligence to the pilots who died in the crash. Um, may I thank the Government for honouring the pledge made before the election to hold a review and ask how the independence of that review will be assured? Deputy Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, first I'm, I'm acutely aware of his uh, considerable expertise on defence matters and also his long-standing interest uh, in this uh, tragic uh, disaster and the circumstances around it. And I am pleased to be able to confirm today that we will be holding an independent review of the evidence on the Mull of Kentire disaster. And I hope the review will, will be welcomed by the families uh, of those who died in this tragic accident uh, to ensure its complete independence. The review will be conducted by a respected uh, lawyer who is independent of the government and who has not previously expressed a view on the disaster. Uh, the reviewer and the precise terms of reference will be announced uh, soon. Mr Gregory Campbell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The policing ombudsman last month released his report into the Claudie bombing by the Provisional IRA in 1972, where nine innocent people were murdered. Uh, the Ombudsman concluded that the Secretary of State of the time, a senior police officer, and the, and the Roman Catholic Cardinal colluded to ensure that a chief suspect in the bombing, who was also a Roman Catholic priest, was transferred to the Irish Republic rather than be brought to justice. Okay. I will wish to raise the matter directly with the Prime Minister, but will the Deputy Prime Minister join with me in calling for the Catholic Church to apologise for their part in this? The surviving members of the Provisional IRA, including the Deputy First Minister, who I understand today confirmed that he visited the suspect priest uh, as he lay on his deathbed 30 years ago, no. to declare all that they knew no. about one of the worst atrocities in Northern Ireland's yeah, troubled yeah, past. Yeah, yeah. Deputy Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, uh, as he knows, my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, made a full apology on the 24th of August on behalf of the government. The government is profoundly, profoundly sorry that uh, Father Chesney was not properly investigated <coughs> for his suspected involvement in this hideous crime at the time and that the victims and their families have quite simply been denied justice. Uh, but I do also want to re reiterate that uh, although after the attack the government acted wrongly in, in not insisting that the RUC properly investigate Father Chesney. It was terrorists who were responsible for this despicable and evil attack, which took innocent lives, including that 
of an eight-year-old girl. And, and my right honourable friend has, has made clear that a, that a public inquiry isn't being considered on the grounds that, that there just simply isn't likely to be any further evidence uh, to consider. We, we have cooperated fully with the Ombudsman's investigations, making all papers available to him. The historical inquiries team is also now investigating the case. And, it, and in the interests of transparency, the government has published the only document it holds uh, referring to discussions about Father Chesley. Andrea Ledson. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that it is vital that the government honours its pledge to equitable life policyholders and upholds the findings of the parliamentary ombudsman? Yeah, the Deputy Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, I, I certainly agree. I certainly agree with my honourable friend. We are absolutely committed to bringing justice to the equitable life policyholders. People who were, frankly, shamelessly, shamefully betrayed year after year by the previous uh, government. We have, we have published a bill on this. We have taken uh, the recommendations from Sir John Chadwick, which we will uh, consider, and we will create an independent mechanism by which justice is finally provided to the policyholders who were so shamefully overlooked by the previous government. Jane Wally. Does the Deputy Prime Minister have any qualms at all about the Coalition Government's 2010 budget, which took 2,000 frontline workers out of Job Centre Plus? And given the fact that in June this year there were less people in work than June a year ago, and the review this week into work capability assessment, will he make sure that the comprehensive spending review gives the frontline staffing resources at job centre pluses around the country that we need to get people off benefits back into work, like he just said? Deputy Prime Minister. Well, I, I certainly agree, agree with her, of course, that the um, most important objective of all is to uh, increase incentives to work. That's why in that same budget we increased the personal allowance by £1,000, taking close to 900,000 people out of paying any income tax altogether. We did take measures to protect the vulnerable and the elderly. We dramatically increased child tax credit. We have provided a triple guarantee to pensioners so that their pension will increase by 2.5% by inflation or by earnings. And, and of course it is easy in opposition to deny any responsibility for the mess we're in the first place. But I simply, I simply ask her and her colleagues, does she have any qualms about the fact that her party and her government announced, announced £44 billion worth of cuts but never had the decency or honesty to tell the British people where those cuts would fall? Nick Dubois. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given the number of disturbing cases such as that of my constituent Andrew Simeou, a 21-year-old young man who was extradited to Greece well over a year ago under the European arrest warrant, who has spent over 10 months in jail and still does not face the prospect of a trial date as yet. Would he agree with me to commit the government to review this legislation, this very worrying legislation, yeah. and would he agree to uh, a meeting with the parents as a matter of urgency with himself or the Prime Minister? Yeah. 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 Well, of course, I, I would more than uh, um, uh, welcome uh, th that meeting, uh, either with myself or the Prime Minister. And of course, uh, we're all aware of the concerns about the way in which the European arrest warrant works. I understand that the Minister for Europe has met uh, with uh, Mr Simeou's parents and, and the Foreign and Commonwealth Office 
uh, would be willing to do so again. Uh, and of course, this is in the context of, of, of even wider concerns about our extradition arrangements, not only with, uh, in the European Union, but with the United States as well. And that is why my right honourable friend, uh, the Home Secretary, has announced today that we will be reviewing the UK's ex extradition arrangements uh, in the round. And the review will focus on the operation of the European arrest warrant uh, and whether the United States and United Kingdom extradition treaty is unbalanced or not and whether requesting states should be required to provide prima facie evidence to us. <laughs> Ian Davidson. Uh, is the Deputy Prime Minister aware uh, that today is my birthday? Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and would he, uh, if I tell him how to pay for it, would he agree to give me a present uh, of a couple of aircraft carriers? Um, none None of your foreign rubbish. I want, I want British, British ones, and I, I don't want to have to share them with some French bloke. Because, I mean, if he had it Monday to Wednesday and I have it Thursday to Saturday and we share weekends, then we'd have to get the permission of the Child Support Agency if we wanted to make any change in that. All, all of this can be paid by cutting our contribution to the European Union. Will he agree? Mr. Speaker, I, I, of course, want to congratulate him on his, uh, on his birthday, and I, I'm delighted to see his enthusiasm for things European hasn't mellowed uh, with, uh, with, uh, with age. I'm very happy, to give him, uh, very happy to give him a gift, whether it's a gift quite uh, in the size and shape that he's requested, I'm afraid I can't, I can't oblige today. Cheryl Murray. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Some people enter the country and receive NHS treatment but don't pay their bill. Then they apply for another visa to come back again. Is this fair and will the government stop it? Well, Mr Speaker, um, my, right, my, my honourable friend is of course right that um, when it comes to the NHS, I mean fairness is one of the founding principles uh, of the NHS and we must retain that principle and where there are people who uh, rightly have been given care uh, by the NHS because the NHS provides care to, to everybody uh, uh, it, on the basis of need. If, however, they're meant, supposed to make a contribution and escape um, the obligation to do so, then I think we do need to look at measures to make that possible. And that uh, is exactly what we were working on, and we will be coming forward with announcements soon. Nick Dakin. Well, what would the Deputy Prime Minister say to my constituent, Rachel Ship? She now finds that all her hard work, community action and fundraising, in line with big society thinking, will come to naught as the government cuts the monies promised to her neighbourhood group for their much-needed playbuilder scheme. And she can't understand why a referendum that has no electoral mandate and she sees as irrelevant will go ahead at a cost, according to the Taxpayers' Alliance, of £100 million that could be better spent on community schemes like hers in Lila Cabinet. Speaker, I'm very amused that he says that the uh, referendum for which he claims has no uh, mandate was in the manifesto which he campaigned on uh, at the last uh, uh, election campaign. I mean, I know, I know Labour, I know Labour is enjoying denying any responsibility for the past. You turn after you turn after you turn. Do you know a hundred thousand people? 100,000 members of the public have made suggestions about how we can try and bring some sense to our public finances without hitting the vulnerable, without hitting frontline public services. Have we heard a single suggestion from anyone on the benches opposite? Not a single suggestion. And until the Labour Party 
opposite catches up with reality, they will not be taken seriously. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, how can the Deputy Prime Minister justify to hard-working taxpayers facing economic difficulties in their own families and businesses that he wants to spend £100 million of their taxpayers' money on a referendum on the voting system. I am amused that my honourable friend gets a cheer a cheer from the members opposite who had advocated exactly that very same proposal. That, of course, is the reason, as my honourable friend knows, why we think, why we think there is a compelling, a compelling case to save up to £30 million uh, in the costs of holding uh, uh, the, 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 the elections in May and the referendum on a separate occasion by saving that money, up to £30 million, by combining them on the same day. An idea which I suspect she's not that keen on, but which I hope over time she will come to support. Kevin Brennan. The Deputy Prime Minister is famous for his humility. <laughs> <laughs> Following the report of the Select Committee and this morning's report in the Financial Times, is he now prepared to apologise for the mistake he made about Sheffield Forge Masters and join, join the, leader, uh, the Liberal leader of Sheffield Council in calling for some public finance for this project? Yes. Mr Speaker, as he knows, uh, the, the reasons, regrettably, why the £80 million loan that was announced by the previous government uh, 11 working days before the general election to coincide with a nice photo opportunity for the previous Prime Minister at Forge Masters. The reason why that has not been able to proceed from this year's budget is that it is not affordable under this year's budget, given that the structural deficit we inherited was so much greater than we thought. In other words, it was a promise made where the money was not available. It was a cheque written which the previous government knew would bounce. But we have made it very clear to Forge Masters that we will continue to work with them to see how we could support them in the future once the budget situation becomes clearer after the comprehensive spending round. Bacon. Mr Speaker, Chinese lanterns throws a, uh, pose a threat to farmers both because of the fire risk to standing crops when lanterns fall into fields and because the wire frames are cut into small pieces by harvesting equipment so that wire is incorporated into animal feed such as hay and silage which kills farm animals. What steps will the government consider to reduce the risks in this area? Mr Speaker, I think, I think uh, uh, everybody who... who uh, uh, lives and works in rural areas knows that this is an issue which is causing a great deal of distress to both farmers and their livestock. We've been looking at ways that we can uh, deal with the issue and reduce the risks uh, posed by these lanterns whilst not wishing to ban them completely. And the Department for Business Innovation Skills has been in contact with the manufacturers of the lanterns and have demanded that the lanterns in future should be 100% biodegradable and have full safety instructions with them. And Murray. Mr Speaker, would the Deputy Prime Minister join me in paying tribute to the Rotary of Braids in my constituency, who raised thousands of pounds for shelter boxes to send to Pakistan and other areas devastated by events? And would he give a commitment that his government will look at altering the gift aid scheme to ensure that bucket collections can be included so their valuable work can go so much further? So we will, of course, look at anything which will uh, both continue to encourage people to be as generous as they have been in responding to this truly horrific uh, 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 catastrophe. I was in Pakistan in Sindh province just last week and saw for myself 
the scale of it. It is genuinely difficult to comprehend. Uh, an area the size of the whole of the United Kingdom has been submerged underwater. 20 million people have been displaced. And my fear is that the worst is still to come as waterborne diseases start taking uh, hold. And that is why I certainly welcome his uh, active interest in it and also uh, will welcome him and all members uh, from all sides of the House so that we can work together to continue both as a government and as a people to show the support that all the many distressed communities in Pakistan uh, deserve at this time. Mr Christopher Chope. Uh, Mr Speaker, can I ask the Deputy Speaker about the Parliamentary Voting System and Constituencies Bill? If the bill is significantly amended in committee or defeated on third reading, will the Liberal Democrats leave the coalition or can you give a guarantee that they will stay in it? I'm not sure sure if this will please or or disappoint him uh, when I say that the the, uh, the um, persistence and resilience of this coalition is not dependent on any one single piece uh, of legislation. He will, he will know, again, I'm not sure if he'll be pleased or displeased by this, that this bill is only one part of a much, much wider programme of political reform, including giving people the power of recall to be able to sack their MPs if they've been shown to do something seriously wrong, to clean up party funding, to produce proposals, finally to reform at the other place. So I'm afraid political reform doesn't begin or just end with this one single bill. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.